How many Pizza Expresses do you think now? I think it was 320, 400 around the country, something like that. All over the place. And Pizza Express member head, do you know what it is? You know, they said, oh, you know, roughly 20 quid. I said, what do you think our spend per is? You know, roughly 20 quid. You know, so wherever there's a Pizza Express, we can open it everywhere. That was my sort of rationale. This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor, and every week my co-founder David Nunes and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Hello and welcome to The Summit. Here we're interviewing inspiring individuals who have built businesses uh, and disrupted industries. We're here to learn about their personal and their business journeys and everything in between. And today we're here with Daniel who built Everyman Cinema. Um, who disrupted the cinema industry globally. Um, we're going to hear about his journey and the summit of his success. Hi, Daniel. Uh, honestly, so nice to meet you. You know, I think uh, we've all followed, you know, what you've done in terms of disrupting, a, a, you know, an industry in, in terms of cinema that has impacted the, the culture of the whole of, of the UK. Talk to us about, you know, where that journey started and, yeah, what made you want to disrupt the way people view cinema? Well, I didn't. <laughs> um, I was telling Don before, you know, it was... Um, definitely not thought out but it sort of happened because I was living and working in an area of North London called Hampstead the original Everman cinema came up for sale I thought it'd be a good idea to to buy it just because I knew the venue and in fact there was a there was a vacant space at the bottom and I thought yeah maybe we'll do some sort of bar or something there because I knew the whole sort of social scene in Hampstead um and then bought the business and then learned very quickly that it wasn't a great business. <laughs> <laughs> Which I should have really done before. Done more, more due diligence before. But then I was in it. And then from there, you know, had to sort of come up with, okay, how do we make it an interesting business, you know, for the customer? Um, and then that sort of just opened me up to a whole line of thinking, which wasn't apparent thinking at that time in cinema. I think we just had this conversation before, didn't we, about big companies? So, you know, big companies dominated the scene in cinema in 2000. They still do today in terms of, you know, um, size of those operators, um, but not in the same way because, because, because then a few things sort of happened, technology being one of them, which sort of democratised the marketplace a little bit. Um, so when I first got involved, the big companies ran the show, big companies being Odeon and those boys, which meant that as a, as a new cinema company, you had to sort of come up with what are they, you know, what can we do that they're not doing? You know, and, 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 and that was just basically business 101, right? So how, how can we make the customer the star of the show was sort of the thing. Um, and, you know, that wasn't being done because it was all about the, the film. So when you talk about running the show, they were the ones that were getting the top movies, well, content, and you were yeah. kind of left. So, I mean, there's a whole load of stuff around that. And again, we were just talking before, and I was saying that from the outside in, cinema is always seen as a very racy business, but was, is, is not behind the scenes. And definitely wasn't in 2000 when I started. So in 2000 when I started, it was still, films were still being delivered on a Thursday night, in a, in a transit van, dropped off at a cinema. This happened to every single cinema in the country. Dropped off at a cinema Friday, a projectionist would come in, cut them up with, a, some, with some scissors. Set, set, when you say delivered, you mean the reels? Not, so the reel? Not a DVD. Not even a DVD. No, no, no. So, so reels, reels of film in several cans because, because a reel of film is, is too big to get in one can. So they're broken down. Mm-hmm. So they're cut up. 
put into several, three or four cans, metal things, and then delivered to a cinema. Guy in the guy in the, proje in the projection box tapes them together, puts them on the on the projector, shows the film. Right. And this was the process for the smallest of the biggest film. Whoever shoots the film owns the film. They sell the distribution rights to by by territory. So they sell the distribution rights to to a UK distributor. UK distributor then converts the film onto cinema print, right? And I think at those times it was thousand pound of print, maybe two thousand pound of print. So all of that meant that the biggest run of films you would get in the UK, which was about three thousand screens, about four hundred prints. So Star Wars would be the biggest. So the smallest would be fifty prints or something down that. But the biggest would be four hundred prints. So you've got 400 prints divided over 3,000 screens. Wow. Right? What was happening was that the big cinema chains had been for years completely monopolizing that process. So they would say, um, we'll take to the distributor, we'll guarantee so many prints, but you only give it to us in these areas. Yeah? So it's a complete monopoly. Because of that, the smaller cinema venues were... That's why they were all dying, because they couldn't get access to content. So, so what they were then doing, was they were sort of going down this sort of rep process, you know, so, so, so indie films, rep, you know, that's what they were doing in, 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 in these sm smaller venues. But the market for that wasn't big enough. So, um, so that's why they were dying off. And every man was in that position when I, when I took it over. So we had to reinvent you know, what could that experience be about? And that's why we just made it about the customer. And what you see in Everman today is what we did then. Because technology and consumer um, demands have moved on, Everyman today is now definitely the sort of leading cinema concept in the country. Not the biggest, but the leader, although it's a sizable company. But the beauty of it all, the strength of it is, it's only ever been that. There are very few cinema companies which have only ever been one thing because cinemas are traded, they change hands over the, over the years. Number one, they stay around. So like you were saying, the York Odeon, right? Mm. Um, you know, those venues can stay cinema venues for hundreds of years. You know, it doesn't happen in, in any in hospitality. I mean, hotels, yes. Um, restaurants, those type spaces, they don't have those shelf lives. So because they've been around a long time, they change hands a lot. And then what happens is they get cobbled together into bigger circuits. So therefore, they're always a hodgepodge of, of venues and different standards from a customer perspective. It's not one, it's never one experience. You know, they're always refurbishing one here and not one there and doing, you know, so it's, it's inconsistent. Everyman today is so consistent, so pure. Whenever you go to an Everyman, it's exactly the same experience, you know, with sort of, variations than another every man and now there's nearly 40 of them the journey you've been on as an entrepreneurial journey from taking that first site realizing it's not what you expect it to be day one when are those those first kind of mini wins you know when you start feeling like you're getting attraction momentum that you think this is going to be something or this could be something or i'm really on something here you have to look back at that and think of those little things they, they don't seem like big things at the time, but in hindsight they are. So everyone taught me about branding, positioning and, and language, right? which I didn't know any of that. I, I was a property guy, just with an idea. 
Um, <clears throat> but because I had to be customer focused, it then sort of took me down this road of trying to understand how you get that connection with customers and what that means in terms of branding, positioning, language. One of the early things we did with Everyman, once we started to sort of get forward with the idea, is we created our own language, right? So we got rid of words like foyer, mm-hmm. all right? And we got rid of words like auditorium, you know, um, and we changed them to lounge, screening lounge. And we sort of became sort of consistent in that, in that language. And I think one of the early indications of that of success in that was when, so the people you work with, you start saying these words and then they say them back to you, you know, and now you're talking about a common language. And then, and then what happens is you overhear them saying to somebody else. So then it sort of takes its own path. And then you overhear being said to customers and then customers saying to other customers. So you're sort of, you know, those are very significant moments that didn't feel like it at the time. But when I look back, that was the beginning of, of the director, you know, because, because for instance, right at the beginning, customers would come in and say, you know, where's the foyer? We haven't got a foyer. What do you mean we haven't got a foyer? You know, where do I buy my ticket? Well, you don't. You just sit over there and we'll give it to you. You know, I mean, head, you know, head blown. But after a while, that just became, you know, second nature to everyone. Mm-hmm. So the language thing is, is, is a really important thing, which we were talking about the Filmworks company I'm working on now, you know, and so that language is, is very much part of, our, part of our sort of culture now. So obviously this whole idea of obsessing around the consumer, I think is really interesting in how you disrupt, because people ignore consumers eventually because it all becomes, you know, systemized and too big. So I, I love this idea that you're doubling down on the consumer. So you started this, you built your first cinema, you know, obviously consumers were telling you that, that, that this was something they really loved. What happened next? How did you go from one cinema to a, you know, an empire essentially? How did that look like? Did you, who had, how did you get the right help and support? Did yeah. you need money? What are the issues? Um, how I did it technically was that I raised money from some investors. Yeah. But I always think to this day, like after I did that deal, I always think they sat down and sort of thought, why, what are we, you know, why are we even doing this? Um, because I was, just, I was just a force of nature in that, in that process. You know, I just became obsessed about, you know, this is something, every man is something from, from, a, from a cinema which had been bankrupt twice and didn't work as a business. But once I, got, once I got into this idea of what we could do for customers, right, so then I just became assessed that this, this could be expanded and it could be a public company. I mean, that's what I was saying in those days when we turned over, we turned over 289,000 in the first year in Everyman, I remember that number, um, and lost whatever we lost, right? And then Everyman this year will probably turn over 80 million. And I was telling people, no, we're going to expand this. It's going to be a public company and it's going to go all over the country. People were like, really? I mean, you know, there were like three people in the cinema yesterday. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, and, and one of the things I was challenged with, which is an interesting conversation we just had about geography, was, um, yeah, you know, but it'll work in London, but it won't work outside London right early on. It's like, really, why is that? Ah, no, because outside London, you know, because people won't spend the money. They haven't got the money, they won't spend the money. This very London-centric thing, right? And I was like, no, no, it's not true. Um, and I said, and they said, why, why do you think that? I said, well, because, you know, do you know Pizza Express? That was my sort of thing, you know. They said, yeah. I said, how many Pizza Expresses do you think now? I think it was 320, 400 around the country, something like that, all over the place. They said, yeah. I said, yeah, and Pizza Express member head, do you know what it is? You know, they said, oh, you know, roughly 20 quid. I said, what do you think our member head is? You know, roughly 20 quid. You know, so wherever there's a Pizza Express, we can open it everywhere. That was my sort of rationale. And, and that sort of was part of the pitch for... They sort of half believe that, and, but invested in any way. 
as it turns out, it does better outside London than it does, than it does in London. You know? Um, Why is that? Not so much competition with choice. Mm-hmm. London's a very difficult place to do anything because the minute you've done something, if you can see something today and it takes you two years to open it, right, you're already two years out of date. You know, because things are, you know, and all of the best concepts in the world, you know, are developed or come to London. That's a very tough place. And now even worse, you know, staffing and cost of living, that type of thing, you know. Outside, outside of London, you don't get those pressures to the same, to the same degree. Um, so you get much more traction in, in places. So now looking back, obviously it's an amazing journey you've gone on. Were there any points where it was just, it was really bad, you know? You, you, yeah, totally. Talk to us about kind of how, what they were and how you got through them. And cause I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs talk to us and, you know, it's, it's a tough journey. Uh, but a lot, it, when people replay their story, it doesn't come out a lot. Well, because generally you're talking to people who've succeeded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bit like sport, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know, just play tennis and then you'll be Roger Federer. Yeah. Um, most people you never hear of, you know, yeah. they never get beyond the qualifiers. Um, yeah, it's punishing, you know, being an entrepreneur is punishing. Um, but it's something that you are, you know, you sort of find yourself engaged with and you're, and you're, you know, it's part of what you do and what you are, you know, and, and many times actually, you know, I think I've, I've made my life much more difficult than it should have been or could have been. Um, because I just get focused on stuff like that, you know, and, and then I'm in it and then I've got to sort of work it out and sort it out. Um, but the, but the, the journey to success is basically, you know, a few things that work and a whole lot of things that don't. You know, and I've definitely heard people say that before. So, so that's, I'm sure that's the, that's the case. You know, I guess managing the failures is the, is the, big, is the big thing. And they can break you. Yeah. What was the, what was the one failure where you felt this, was, this, this should have succeeded? You mean in every man or anything? Just in general. I think, you know, the per- personal life and business are interlinked when you're an entrepreneur. So yeah. what was your failure where you thought, you know, that, not, that really should have been, I really believe in that well i mean a recent example would be covid wouldn't it yeah you know because i mean you know as if life isn't difficult enough um you know and um you know every man is is hospitality we've got another business hotel business and and development in southport um and you know that was a real shock to the system i mean you know sort of everything being shut down overnight um so it's I mean, we've we've come through it, but but you know there are there are things you can't account for, aren't there? Yeah. And and then they sort of hit you, and you know. So I guess in that sense, you know, that not seeing stuff coming, which you can't see coming, you know, can can knock you off course. Um, I, I don't think I've got an example of something that I did that didn't work out in the sense you're saying. Yeah. 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 But but it's. But it's not black and white because when I sort of think back, I'm thinking about your question and thinking about it's, it's basically a whole load of little incremental bits. It's not like if you win the lottery in life, as in play that I don't play it, but if you play it and you win it, then you know you go from sort of nothing, zero to a hundred in just like that, you know. So it's a very so you can always sort of that's a very binary, thing, yeah. binary and 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 very apparent. Mm. But if you work at something for 10 or 15 years, it's incremental. It never feels, you never get that moment. It just sort of... Because yesterday is exactly the same. Uh, yeah, just, just plus a little bit, minus a little bit, you know? Compounds. Yeah, and I think, and I think that is the, that's, the, that's the true journey of success, isn't it, really, for anyone, really? It's all, it's, all, it's all little bits which sort of 
go forward a bit and back a bit and forward a bit more and back a bit, you know, and when you sort of look back, you go, oh, yeah, yeah I see how that, <laughs> yeah, I, I see how that works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And obviously on that kind of route up, you know, is, is there a top for you? Is there, a, is there a kind of, you know, you mentioned potentially an IPO and kind of an initial kind of ambition, but is there a point where you've got to the top and thought, this is, this is the summit, this is where I want to be, this is where, I, where, where the plan was, or yeah. is it a journey um, which just those steps keep going? Well, I've got to say, this is very linked to ageing. I, I hate to tell you, <laughs> you've got it coming. <laughs> um, because, you know, age plays a big part in the way, you're, in the way you think about stuff which when I was younger, I just didn't think about at all. It's not a question of where the summit is, but it's a question of where my priorities are. You know, so I've got two daughters who, you know, are my priority. So I think a lot about, about their life now more than mine, you know, more when, than when they were young. Because when they were young, they sort of, you know, they sort of did their thing. You take them to school and that's it, you know. But now you think about their life, how I can assist that and what their journey might be. and. You know, this is all thinking that, that is outside of my sort of singular thinking that I used to have. It's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a burden, actually, because actually singular thinking turns out was much easier for me. Um, you know, when I have to think about more things, it's, it's more complicated. So my, so my summit now would be how to manage the next, you know, my, my last 20, 25 years, whatever the, the number is, you, you know, in relation to their lives. But, but I can never, I can never, there's nothing to sort of step off of for me. It's not like, like maybe you're alluding to, you know, sort of, you know, get to a number or get to a position and sort of step off, you know, sort of step off of what? As yeah. the, when, when I saw the Paul McCartney interview and he was asked, um, you know, when are you going to retire? He said, retire from what? <laughs> no, because I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Retire from life. I mean, what, you know, sort of, if that's what you do, then that's what you do, you know, in different degrees maybe slightly less energetic yeah you've been successful with every man and you know it's, it's an amazing story you know a lot of entrepreneurs tell us when's once have had success when they try to do the second thing there's a lot of pressure because you know you're expected to have success what are you doing now and do you feel that pressure or what's next for you and and how does that does does this pressure impact the way you think about that not really it's 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 a new journey for me that's sort of uh, you know, i don't really they're not really linked in my head Maybe they're linked in other people, you know, because you sort of read my story and you sort of, well, I guess that makes sense. But, but no, for me, it's like, so apart from the daughter thing, you know, I, it turns out I'm a very singular guy. So now I'm on something else. That's what I'm on, you know. Um, so and that being this Filmworks company, which I've, which we've launched, which is selling tools and services, um, you know, online. But that's, that's what I'm on now. So I don't sort of correlate the two in terms of um your journey what has been the the, the the kind of thing that's got you out of bed every single morning um and the most enjoyable part of fear. it fear yeah fear yeah. of what fear of never going back so you know so this is sort of goes back to where you come from yeah so so um you know sort of my ambition was always to remove myself and the circumstances i grew up in you know which were you know not horrific but just just, you know, very base, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that sort of ambition is in there, isn't it? You know, to sort of better yourself. The ambition to make a better experience for my daughters. You know, that's, that's a big driver. Um, and then also just, you know, sort of, I'm better off, 
I'm better off to be doing stuff than not. As I saw um, Steve Coogan on Top Gear, I think Jeremy Clarkson asked his question about, you know, exactly that, you know, what gets you up? And he just basically said, Jeremy, you know, the devil makes work for idle hands. You know, and that's true, you know, I'm better off, I'm better off involved with stuff than not being involved with stuff. That fear and that kind of ambition piece, do you think that, you know, I often think about my own son and, you know, whether he'll have the same ambition I did. You know, I grew up from in Blackpool and wanted to make yeah. a better life for myself. And I worry as a parent that that isn't built into his life now. Do you think about the same things? Yeah, or, totally. You know? I, I obsess way too much about all of that stuff. But again, that's my character. Um, and the truth is, they won't. Um, but knowing that, it doesn't make a difference because you, you will play your hand the same because you won't be able to resist, you know, making things better for them. Mm. Even if you know that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because you can't, you just can't do it, you know. I, I wouldn't want them to, to grow up as I grew up, because it's just too difficult, you know, too hard. Yeah, so do you think, you know, thinking the next generation of entrepreneurs, do you think it's possible to really disrupt like you did and create big business if you don't have that ambition or not? How much of a part of that did it play in your success? Yeah, for me a lot, yeah, yeah. but you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm heavy on ambition and low on intelligence. Um, so, you know, and sort of by that, I mean, um, you know, sort of academic intelligence, um, access to opportunity, you know, so academically, I came from a place where there was no access to opportunity and it wasn't expected. And in fact, the opposite was expected. Yeah. So therefore, that's all I had to bring to the table. Right. So my daughters and your son probably are going to have a better balance. Yeah. You know, they're going to have more on the other side, you know, so then they don't need to be so heavy on the on 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 my side you know so it feels like my side is very energy intensive you know when 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 all you've got is sort of your you know get up and go and your aggression and your determination you know that's very draining yeah it's not as guided is it it's a lot more a lot more hope than control it's it's yeah it's just it's just dogged determination you know and it takes an out of you you know if i'd have been able to match that with better knowledge which I sort of have now, but I didn't have in my 20s and 30s. Academically, my daughters are better than me, without a doubt. But, you know, that still lacks a lot, in my experience, in my observation of, of schooling. They lack a lot outside of that. So maybe, you know, maybe that was my benefit, you know, because I, because, I, because I couldn't go there, I just went somewhere else. So I learned other things because it wasn't being, I wasn't being taken down that academic path. So I think you've got to input a lot into your son's life, that's my point, outside of the schooling. Yeah. Do you worry about the future for your, for your daughters? You know, I think today we live in a world where, you know, we're passionate about when we invest in entrepreneurs, female yeah. entrepreneurs. You know, do you worry about the opportunities they have versus men? And, and kind of how do you think about that? Versus men? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, again, I worry too much about a lot of stuff these days. And just only in the last couple of years, really. Um, Generally speaking, I think that I think that the opportunities, you know, so let's say wider for sort of mankind. Are there are there to go to your question, gender issues? Um, you know, probably. But but I've I think I've worked very hard with my girls to to not let them buy into those stereotypes themselves. Mm. Um, but those stereotypes are very much around you. You know, pressure, social media, big 
big issue to manage, I think, these days. Fantastic in every way, as David Bowie said in the 90s. Um, fantastic and horrible at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Everyone's always got a, in, in the sense of getting to the summit, you know, everyone's, everyone's got their issues, you know, haven't they? Exactly, there's always a journey to take. Yeah, you just gotta focus on where you're trying to get to. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on the summit today. Hope you found it insightful and what you listened to today helped you on your journey. <laughs>